John 14. Let's look at this, starting in verse 1. And a little bit of background, because it's, it's been a week, right? We, we saw Him last. They were at the Last Supper, as we like to call it. Uh, and He was telling them about His love for them. He was telling them about His impending betrayal, crucifixion, and resurrection. And in that context, all this crazy stuff that Jesus is talking to him about, and we were talking about it in class this morning, they had, you know, the betrayal and, and kind of the emotions. They're angry. They're upset at just even the thought of all of that. Jesus says to them, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't get scared about all of this. Why? And we're going to look at it a little bit of this today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to Him, Lord, we do not know the way that You're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you had known Me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know Him and have seen Him. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. Isn't that funny? I'm the way and the truth and the life. I know how to get there. Isn't that just human? Isn't that just like us? And then, you've seen the Father. I want to see the Father. One time we had, this was when I was back in Bonham, we had a whole Sunday set aside for uh, the, uh, the blessing of new elders. And, you know, typical service, hour or so, something like that. All this stuff. The sermon was on shepherding and all this stuff. And they had uh, the, the, those who were elders already, they, they had talked to the church about, you know, the importance of this all. And then they had the new elders come up along with their wives and their family and they prayed over them, laid hands on them, all this stuff. And as people were leaving that morning, one of the ladies stopped and asked one of the deacons, you know, we keep talking about how we need new elders. When are we going to get some? And, see, some of y'all. Did he say we're getting new elders? No, that's not what I said. She hadn't even known, like for the whole time she was there, I don't know where she was, off in outer space, something. Probably thinking about pot roast. Don't y'all go thinking about pot roast. And, now I'm hungry, I shouldn't have said it. But, this is the way they were, just like us. Everything's, they've been told for three and a half years, all of this stuff. And still, right then, he just said it. And they go, where are we going? How are we going to get there? Hey, I want to see God. All of this stuff. That's kind of funny. So Lord, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? You kind of wonder how exactly he said that. And did he thump his forehead? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He says again, because he just said it. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on the account of the words themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, before we get too much into John 14, there's another passage that you might not think at first 
is related, but it's something that, that gets quoted quite often. And you'll see it on the Internet in pictures like this. From Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And usually, whenever we, we quote this passage, we're talking about something we don't understand. And somebody will say, well, you know, what, is it, what does it mean, Trinity? What does it mean, a triune God, if, depending on what language you know the teacher is using at the time? What does that mean, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all one? I mean, you just named three. How can they all be one? How does that work? And somebody eventually in class, there'll be 45 minutes of discussion, and then somebody will say, well, you know, his ways are higher than our ways, and our thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Right? So we always meet it with just kind of this shrug of, ah, God's a mystery, we don't know. His thoughts are higher than ours. He has a bigger brain than we do and all that kind of stuff. And that's the way that we tend to use this passage to just kind of say, ah, we'll never figure it out. Let's go get some lunch. Pot roast, you know, squirrel. Squirrel? Are you eating squirrel? Maybe. The, uh, I had a grandmother who wouldn't eat at the other grandmother's house. We always went out to eat. I found out later, one time they had squirrel. Me, I'm sitting there going, ooh, I wonder what that was like. Anyway, fry it, put it with gravy. It's got to be good, right? That's, the, that's my guess. When in doubt, fry it and pour gravy on it. I don't think, maybe even the orange jello would be good that way. I have no idea, but I ain't trying it. But we use this to just kind of say, I don't understand what in the world God meant by that, or I don't understand this deep concept, or I don't understand what in the world is God is doing in my life, but I know God has a plan. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That's not what he meant at all. Like the passage itself is not at all. God said this himself, so he had a meeting. So, I want to look at the, at, the, at the context of this because it speaks very directly to what Jesus is also trying to get across in John 14. So, let's look at it in context. This is Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So it's in the middle of a context where God is calling his people back to a life of holiness, back to a life of obedience and faith. He's calling on them to repent. So that's the context. I want you to repent and come back to me. You know, it's a context of leaving idols and all of these things. So he says, For, why do I want you to do all of these things? For, another way of saying, Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For the rains and the snow will come down from heaven and, will not, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. Seek the Lord. Again, that's what repentance is all about. Seek the Lord, and he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For, again, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the, That's the same slide again. I see what I did there. Let's do this. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay, let's go back up and 
catch all of this like in order this time. I don't know what I clicked. So, he's talking to us about repentance. And he says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. He's not saying, my brain is bigger than yours. That's obvious, right? That's another thing you could talk about. could have brought a brain in a jar and we could talk about the size of God's brain. There's an idea. The, uh, so, he's saying, the way that you think versus the way that I think, they are not even close to the same thing. And what he's saying is, you need to repent because your thoughts are not like my thoughts. You need to repent because your ways are are not like my ways. It's a call to holiness and righteousness. What he's saying here is not, I'm difficult to understand. In fact, he's saying the opposite. He's saying, you can understand the way I think, and you can understand the way that I act, and you need to. Because the way you've thought and the way you've acted, that's the root of all your problems. That's how you got into the mess that you're in. It's why I'm having to call on you to repent. My thoughts are different. Learn my thoughts. My ways are different. Learn my ways. And that's when he goes into this next part here where he says, my word, my thoughts, same thing. God speaking. My word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that uh, which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So he looks at your life and he looks at my life and he says, if you want to be what I've called you to be, and we talk about that a lot, if you want to actually have a life that is godly and holy, that is blessed, that is joyful, that can be defined by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things, you're going to have to give up the way you think and start thinking like God. Your ways will have to change from your ways, your habits. And you take on the ways, the habits of God. This is what he's getting at. It's really not that complicated. He's saying, my way of thinking, living, and doing is better than your way. And I've got to say, even though we know this is God talking, how many of you felt a little something right back up in there in your backbone? Bow up a little bit. Anybody? I don't see hands, so I know how many liars are in the room. There's some of you just right, because I felt it. I thought some of y'all felt it too. I don't know. We don't like somebody telling us that our way is wrong, do we? How many... Divorce lawyers make their living on that little boat up little part right there. Right? Well, he told me I'm supposed to wash the dishes at the other sink. And then there it goes, right? Well, she told me I have to leave my boots at the front door. I ain't leaving my boots. And then there it goes, right there. But we will even have it right here talking to God. Where God tells us, listen, I know the way you do things. You say, well, that's just the way I always am. To which the Lord is saying, I know. Repent of that. Fix it. But that's the way I am. And then you know what we do? We start saying things like, well, that's the way... What goes in the next plane? Yeah, that's the way God made me. You sure about that? That's become the new excuse, hasn't it? But that's the way God made me. Really? If God says, don't do this, and you go out and do it, 40 years ago, you'd have said the devil made me do it. Nowadays, you say God made me do it. Which is the bigger blasphemy? 
But they are, aren't they? And in truth, neither is true, but one's downright wrong. How much trouble... Isn't that what he was talking about? In a, in a sense, it's a real thing of what he was talking about. We talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Context was they were blaming the devil for what Jesus did that was right. Is there any difference when we start to blame God for what we do that's not? He says, that's the problem. He said, listen, my way is different from yours. And my way is the way that it works. And we don't like that. There's a bit of our humanity that doesn't like it. There's even more of our Americanism that doesn't like it. And then we're Texans on top of that. I mean, strike three and we're out all over the place. You know? And then, then the wives are all going, and some of you are men, you know. <laughs> Can't even take a mulligan because we're not playing golf. This is bad, you know. But this is what the Lord says. My ways are higher. I can help you do this better. So let's go back to John 14. Because this is really what he's getting at. Let's look at it again. John 14. He says first, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says, I've got this big house. My dad has a big, big house. What's that song from the 90s? With a big, big yard where we can play football. All that kind of stuff. He says, I've got this big house and I'm going to go get it ready. So in some translations, you know, because it can be translated either way, big rooms, it's got lots of rooms. Some of it he's got lots of mansions, you know, and some people who watch too much HGTV are already thinking color schemes. Like you're going to go redecorate God's house, you know, something like that. Anyway, he's, the point here being, listen, I have a future plan for you that is absolutely beyond your imagination but it's going to take some work to get ready. So I'm going to go get that ready. And it's going to be good. And there's going to be plenty of room for everybody. But you need to make sure that you actually get there. Believe in God. Trust me. Believe also in me. Trust me. Is what he's telling them. Okay? So, then he starts getting into messing with us a little bit. That's the promise that should bring us peace. God has prepared a place for us in His church now, in the life to come, in the future, God has a place for every single one of us that He has planned and worked on and made perfect just for us. And that ought to, that ought to humble us, shouldn't it? The very idea that the God of heaven actually took the time. You know, we think that's incredible. I mean, when you go to uh, somebody's house and, and they knew you were coming, it's better, you know, we like it when they know it's coming, right? And they knew you were coming, and they got a room ready, and some people are really good at hospitality, and they, you know, they'll, they'll get everything all straightened up and nice, and, and you know, if it's me, they put an iceberg in there with a fan and all this kind of stuff. But you know, just everything is just right, and they're very hospitable. This is one of the things we loved about Russia, very hospitable people. And we really admire that sort of thing. How good do you think Jesus is at hospitality? How good do you think he is at a welcome home? If the, if the prodigal son is just a weak image of what is ahead for us, how good is that going to be? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be real good. So whatever it is that he asked me to change between here and there, no problem. That might be a problem in fighting my own flesh and my own self. But in the willingness... There shouldn't be any problem, should there? He tells them, I'm going to get it ready. 
And so he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. What does that mean? The way, the truth, and the life. We talked about uh, around Isaiah 55 that he's saying that his way of thinking, his way of doing, his way of living are better than ours. And this is what he's getting at. When he says, I am the way, He's telling us that He is actually the, the pathway for us to God the Father. He tells us too in, in John 14 that He's the only way. That's it. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And again, part of us want to bow up a little bit and say, well, I, li- I don't like to go the- all the way here this morning. Good night was the Lord trying to teach me a lesson. Now, all the way here this morning, I'm trying to go the way I want to go. And... The- somebody put up these orange and white barriers in my way. Now listen, I'm in a Silverado. I don't care about these barriers. They cared about these barriers. i got a kayak. I can get to church when I want to. No, no, it's good they're there. Don't go around barriers. I want to be sued later. So, but all the way here, the first turn I took, well, it was the second turn I took. The first turn I took, I couldn't get around because somebody just decided to stop in the middle of the access road. That's three years of purgatory. Don't do that. So I decide I'll cut off and go through town. I start coming through town. They've taken barriers down. To me, that means road open, right? No, it doesn't. It means somebody's going to be taking a coffee break at the other end of that road and look at you funny while you turn around. That's what that means. So that's what I did. And I had to turn around like three times in different places where it looked like they'd opened it up, but they really hadn't. So I want to go my own way. Hmm. Don't you feel like that with Jesus sometimes? But what Jesus is trying to tell you is, I know what's further down the road you can't see. I'm the way. And it may take some readjustment to the direction you take. It may take a readjustment to the way you think. It may take a readjustment to what you do as a result of all those things. But this is for your best good. And so Jesus says, trust me. Believe in me. Live like I live, he eventually gets to. Because I am the way, and there's not another way. You're not going to get there on C.C. Woodson. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to go through Jesus to get to this eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not just about, it begins with, but it's not just about a decision we make, the faith we put in Christ, and the baptism that we have. In Romans 6, let's just turn over there. Romans chapter 6, just in case you're not familiar with it, we'll lay our eyes on it. And those of us who are, have bad memories, we need to see it again. In fact, it was written, Romans 6 was written to fairly new Christians who already had bad memories and were forgetting stuff. So, you know, not, not much changes. I'll start in verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What are you supposed to do when you see an orange and white barrier? Step on it. No. Paul's saying, no, you don't step on it. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were, therefore, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's what he's getting at. He said, don't you remember the day that you were baptized? You were buried with Christ. That was an admission that His ways were higher than yours and your ways were on their way out. 
And so you died there and were buried there. You, you made a confession there. Jesus is my Lord. I believe in Him. That confession was all about saying, my ways, not as high as His, I'm letting them go. My thoughts, not as pure as His, I'm letting them go. And so you were buried with Christ in the water. And then you were raised, because it's not just a death, and it's not just a burial. Then you were raised with Christ into a new, it says, a new life. But not just a new life in the sense of when you came out of the water, all your sins were washed away and your life was new. In the sense that the life that you would live from that moment on is new and distinct in its quality from the life you lived before that moment. That the old is gone and the new has come. You shed all that stuff. Just like a, this is probably an appropriate comparison, just like a snake sheds its old skin because it can't grow unless it does, it will die if it doesn't. We shed our old skin and leave it behind. And no snake goes back, and, sorry Tanya, but no snake goes back and tries to crawl into its old skin. If a snake could talk, there's only one, that one should have been shot, right? If you try to get back into that old skin, it's pointless. And a snake would tell you this is stupid. And it's not any smarter when we try it. So you leave behind and you follow Jesus. Jesus tells His disciples, with all that's going to happen in your life, with all the trials, with all of the discomfort, with all the things you're about to see happen, and they're about to see Jesus whipped, beaten, uh, embarrassed, made fun of and mocked and crucified and buried. He says, with all of those things, you can take peace in this. I'm still Jesus no matter what they do to me. I still have a plan that will happen. My word does not return to me empty. And where I go, you can come if you will follow me and become like me. Now, they couldn't go at the time. He says, you can't go now. I'm not taking you straight to heaven. There's a life you've got to live first. There's a faith you need to put into action first. But I will be back. And you will be with me again. And you do have this future. And the same thing is true for us. And we came up out of that water with that hope. But that hope must express itself in a life lived like Jesus. That's why when they say things like, well, we don't know the way. He says, look at me. Look at me. Look at the life that I've just lived before you. It's, it's an echo of what we looked at last week in John 13. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. How am I going to live? Whenever you don't know, where do you go? Jesus. When you're not sure how to react, where do you go for the information of how to react? Jesus. Whenever you have reacted and you've already blown it, where do you go for forgiveness? Jesus. He is the way and He is the truth. And He is our new life. In every way, He's calling us, live the way that I lived. Back in John 14, He put it this way. <clears throat> Turn my page here. He said, Whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will He do because I'm going to the Father. If you really trust this, 
If you've really taken this on as your mantle and as your identity. If you were buried with me and raised with me, go be like me. Love like me. Serve like me. Live like me. Remember that my thoughts are higher than yours. So take mine on. Start thinking like me. Start deciding like me. Start pushing things away that have no place in your life like me. Isn't that what Jesus did in Luke 4? Satan comes to him face to face with temptation. And every time he said no. Because his thoughts, a lot better than a lot of ours have been at times. His ways turned out a lot better than our ways at times. But that is not only a conviction on our hearts that we're not perfect. It's also a call to our hearts that despite our, our, our failings, He still wants us to give it our best shot as we imitate Christ so that we can then share with others the love of Christ, however imperfectly it may be expressed through us. This is what He calls us to. One, I started this morning with a, a prayer about how it's, it's humbling that God cares to pay us any attention at all. Because it is. There's a little girl named Emmy. And she was dealing with elementary school math. She didn't, she didn't get all of that elementary school math. Anybody here relate to that? Uh, you know, she, she, she heard about this guy who lived down the street. And he was pretty good at math. And so she thought, well, I'll just go, I'll just go ask him about, about math. He's really good. He teaches at the college. I bet he'll do all right. So she you know, goes and knocks on the door and, and says, hey, I need some help. And he calls her in. They sit down at the kitchen table. It became a regular thing. She would go and sit at the table and the kitchen table and he would help her with her homework and, and she was doing better in school. Well, one time, a neighbor mentioned it to her mother. This was back in the 40s when you could just go to a neighbor's house and help, get help with the math, right? And somebody mentioned to the mother, and she said, Ah, she shouldn't be bothering him. So she goes and knocks on the door. And she says, Mr. Einstein, I understand that my daughter's been coming and bothering you. The neighbor was Albert Einstein. Mr. Einstein, I understand my daughter's been bothering you. She shouldn't, and he interrupted her and said, No, it's fine. Your daughter loves to learn. And I love that she loves to learn. It's good for me. And she can come and get help with her math anytime she wants. How do you think she was at math by the time she was an adult? Albert Einstein. We would all love for our kids to have a tutor like that. If we will take Jesus' advice here, if we will take God's truth seriously in Isaiah 55, they can do better than Einstein. Every time that they need to knock, James 1 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. The door is never closed. You do not have to ever feel like you've been to Jesus too much, asked of Jesus too much. He's actually saying, no, I want to show you the way. I want to show you the yeah, but how. How do I actually do this? All you've got to do is knock and come.